1: presented by t-mobile the official wireless partner of odyssey sports with an awesome network and great savings there's never been a better time to join t-mobile visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today
2: it's the fastest hour on the radio speed city
1: good evening gearheads
0: welcome to your sunday night with speed city this is john massingill i am joining you from my home studio as well as jonathan green from his home studio mr green how is the new pad
3: the new pad's good i'm liking it um i decided to move closer to the producer so i could get a better reception (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and and it's a really popular decision as you can see
0: such a strange decision that you both ended up in the same complex what the heck that's so weird Oh, uh, well, anyway, hey, we got a great show tonight. I want to go over what we got. We have, um, we, we got Bob Varsha, who was in Berlin, still in Berlin for the Formula E. He was doing Formula E for CBS over there. So great we, gig. Uh, that's good. I'm really happy. Yeah, that was a good gig for Bob. And we had a nice long chat with Bob and uh, very fun. Bob was a little more festive than usual. So you'll get to hear all about that. And yeah, we'll uh, I'll
3: have to send him some um, Riccardi Breezers.
0: and yeah so we're going to talk some formula one news we got a couple of races on the finally coming up including miami uh super excited about that because we're going to be deeply involved in that one is it a new season of formula one well yeah it feels like it doesn't it what the heck i thought thought uh, verstappen canceled the rest of the season
3: because he didn't like the new rules (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> and speaking of Formula One, we have the uh, American who's probably the closest to reaching Formula One after Mr. Logan Sargent. That's Jack Crawford, because Chris Medlin caught up with Jack uh, about a week ago for our Wheel to Wheel show. And so we've got uh, most of that interview. We don't have all of it because the, you, you have to go to the Wheel to Wheel podcast to get the entire interview. But we got a nice chunk of it. It's a really good interview with, with Jack Crawford. Really excited about that.
3: Yeah. And let me just stop you there. If you're sort of new, and I know there's a few people tuning in. Jack Crawford, maybe not a name that you know that well, but I can tell you and John can tell you that um, he really is the, the real deal. He's a Red Bull junior. He, he's been in Europe for a lot of his um, um, teen, teen years. He is at the right age uh, to go all the way. Um, he's spot, you know, he's, he's under helmet, Marco's tutelage, as it were, he's in the, he's next in line if, if you, if you like after Lawson and, you know, Sonoda and all the guys that uh, are currently employed by Red Bull and many others, I may add, um, which is a good thing and a bad thing, but he's certainly in line as the next American, um, doing FIA F3 and he's gone through the ranks. So it's a name that you should remember, uh, and want to look out for.
0: Yeah, and there's and, and I want you guys to really pay attention at the beginning because he talks about how old he is and it's such a big deal. So uh yeah, that's coming up. We'll have that in the final segment. But we're gonna talk a little Formula One right now because we got Baku up next, Miami right after that. So street circuits back to back. But in Baku, we have the sprint race returning back to Formula One for this year. And Jonathan, what do you think? We got uh enough close walls and two competitive races. No telling how much this weekend is going to cost the teams.
3: Well, and also a change to the rules whereby, you know, um, effectively the sprint race will become a race. It's going to be same in Austin, but it's going to be a race whereby the day of Saturday will be all about the sprint race and Friday will count because you will be getting ready for Sunday on Friday. So they've kind of changed it up a little bit and all the team managers were in agreement on this, which is rare. Um, but it's good. I, I think it's really good. And Baku's going to be a massive challenge for a sprint race and a Grand Prix because it, it's a challenge at the best of times. But it's it's one of those who dares win circuits. I mean, it's got that ridiculously long straight. And then you've got the twiddly bits, uh, <laughs> as, um, as, uh, as, the, as the British commentators say, the twiddly bits. But ran the old city, uh, that one turn, I think it's 15, where they go past that old tower. God, you've seen so many people go straight on there. And it's yeah. a real challenge.
0: Yeah. And the format is, of course, we have qualifying on Friday. But that qualifying is not for the sprint race. Sunday, Yeah. It's for Sunday. And then on Saturday, we got rid of a practice and we have sprint qualifying. And then the sprint race, that's Saturday. And then the Grand Prix on Sunday. So... I mean, if you're trying to make every day exciting and every day count, they've achieved that. Now, Yeah,
3: and you you add the weather factor into that, and there is no easy way to approach a weekend like that because conditions can change. We saw it in the MotoGP last weekend here in Austin. You know, one day, or it rains overnight, and suddenly everything goes out the window, and the wind picks up. And suddenly it's a completely different racetrack. Now, I know that's MotoGP, but it's true of Formula One too, especially someone like Baku where, you know, um, they're by the sea and, you know, it's a city. Things can change quickly. And so you really do have to focus on every session being important.
0: Yeah, and we have seen that it's been a surprising race, hasn't it? We've seen some really good racing there. I mean, when it was first put on the calendar, I think everybody was not expecting good things. But we've seen some pretty good racing there.
3: Well, the truth is, I don't think any of us knew where it was. And I don't mean that like I've traveled around the world, you know, and I've never been to Azerbaijan. um, And I don't think any of us It's a bit like when we went to Singapore for the first time, everybody thought we were going to go to, you know, an obscure city in the middle of Asia. And of course, it's a modern, most modern city of Singapore, as is as, as is Baku. Uh, and while it, too, has been, you know, it's had its uh, ups and downs, there's been war in the in the near distance, and, um, you know, it, it, it has its own troubles. It's really right in the heart of Europe in many ways.
0: Yeah, and I, I've, I stumbled across a story. It was actually an Azerbaijani newspaper, and it was really interesting. I, I told
3: I'll you not t- to read that. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, it was interesting because it was all about the perspective of people in Azerbaijan and talking about all about how it's such a good thing for the for the country and for the city and and all the press that it brings. And I'm gonna I just stumbled across it a few minutes ago. I'm gonna dig into that maybe for uh, the pre-show next week or maybe for Wheel to Wheel on Wednesday. But um, but yeah, I'm 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 so fired up that we. Are finally in a race week, and and in fact, uh, Andy P just said that on YouTube. Says, "Finally, it's race week." Evening, everybody. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, Hey, by I the am... way, John, while while we've got a second, and this is you know, this is our local
3: show. Why don't you explain what Wheel to Wheel is? Because some people might not have got turned on to that yet, and I think it's important because it's a real deep dive with Medlin, and and I think that's why it's important.
0: Yeah, and Wheel to Wheel is just Chris Medlin and I, and we swap roles. Chris is the host of that show. And rightly so, because as you guys know, Chris is like in the thick of it, right? He is every single week. He is traveling around the world and roaming the paddocks and is completely plugged in. And we just go deep in between the, you know, the pre and post race and all that stuff that we do. And we have sometimes amazing guests like Jack Crawford, but we've had, uh, I mean, we've had amazing guests up and down the grid. So, but it's on Wednesdays. It's on that national network that we are that we're, we we do not like to talk about when we're on the local network, but you guys know which one it is. And it's on, the, <laughs> but it's on the Look ESPN. Look to the skies, you'll get it. <laughs> That's right. And it um, it's on Wednesdays, and it's at seven p.m. Eastern, so six Central. And,
3: uh, and you know what I like about that show was
0: a podcast too. Yeah,
3: when we use Chris Medlin on a Grand Prix weekend, and we speak to him after the race and before the race, um, you know it's great. Um, But when we have a controversial race like we've been having in the last couple of races, um, you know, there's still a lot hanging in the air. We don't know the decisions. Um, And it's, you know, we kind of leave with a bad taste in our mouth sometimes because the stewards have messed it up again or we're not happy or the drivers are fed up with whatever decisions have been made. And by Tuesday or Wednesday, there's sort of a voice of reason when Madeline comes on because he's like, yeah, I stayed till Sunday night and I spoke to him, you know, and it's kind of cool because you get a, a, a sense of, you know, everybody's cool their jets a little bit and you get a sense of uh, an understanding. I I mean, Chris wrote a great article last time out after the last Grand Prix about about Australia, about how, you know, uh, actually the, the stewards made all the right decisions even though it seemed farcical to finish under safety like we did. In the end, actually the stewards made all the right decisions but it was only in the cool light of day i.e wednesday that you got that and that's why i think it's an important show
0: yeah well thank you and uh all right well let's get our first break in And when we come back we are going to talk to mr varsha you're listening to sunny night with speed city back after a quick break
6: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: Hi, this is Max Steppen and you're listening to Speed City.
1: Welcome back to the fastest hour in radio, Speed City shift gears a little bit. What do you got, hey,
3: Johnny? Yeah, talking to Max Verstappen, a man in my neighborhood, I'll keep his name unidentified, a bit like the producer because I like the anonymity. Um, but I saw Max Verstappen's plane at Austin Airport. Really? Yeah, he took a helicopter ride to the track and uh, took a picture of Max's... Um, when? jet. Uh, I think it was last year. Oh, okay. cool last, meant- though. It's like a 20-seater, you know
0: bombardier cool. i
3: don't yeah, know I, I don't know what it is but but man, it had you know it had his insignia on the on the back and it was definitely with the orange and very cool that's cool I, i'd like to go somewhere on that with max <laughs> <laughs> and and mazapin
0: i was just gonna say Mazepin. Yeah, let's go to let's go to moscow with max and Mazepin. i was telling
3: him that story like yeah you haven't been to moscow with me
0: yeah all right, we're going to shift gears away from Formula One. We're going to be back with some really cool Formula One content with Jack Crawford later. I say Formula One, Formula Two, but uh, but we're going to go to this re- the segment we recorded with Bob Varsha a few hours ago because Bob is in Berlin for the Formula E, and we talk about Formula E and lots of other fun stuff. So let's hear this with Bob Varsha. Welcome, Mr. Bob Varsha from Berlin for the Formula E. Hey, Bob, how are you? I'm doing just great,
2: guys. Uh... You'll have to forgive me if i lose my train of thought we have wonderful after parties here in formula e <laughs> and i wasn't going to go and drink champagne and talk to all the ladies and everything but then i thought what would jonathan green do <laughs> and it became clear so i just went to the party and drank the champagne so
3: here you go Rip off the old block bob you'll make it <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh that's a little bit of information bob hid from us before we started this recording uh, that's of, great of, of course he, <laughs> he
3: is a journalist after all
2: that's
0: right
3: <laughs> if it's free i'm there yeah <laughs> and oh. i say live live life to the fullest you there never you know I, the, the stuff i picked up when people have 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 loosened their jaw
0: <laughs> oh that's fantastic bob that's great well i'm glad you made it back to the hotel
3: <laughs> yeah well they arranged travel right around town so <coughs> what, a, what, <coughs> a, what, a, what a great city as well bob uh it's, oh, it it's really transformed hasn't it
2: it is it's a fabulous city it's monumental is one word that comes to mind some of the architecture yeah. and things are great historic I mean, when you, you go from the old East Berlin to West Berlin, and there's still sections of the historic wall that are still up. Um, one of my favorite things going back and forth to the track every day as we go by uh, Checkpoint Charlie, and yeah. in a nearby lot are about, I'm guessing, three dozen Trabants. Do you know what Trabants are? They oh. are two, say they are little sedans um, made of of. Pressed wood and plastic with motorcycle (laughs) two-cylinder engines and uh you know they were they they were a a huge joke and you have to have one and you have to paint it all kinds of wild colors and they actually have races for these things which is you know like um like mini gt racing and they fly around with two or three wheels off the ground and everything i'm told it's fantastic but (laughs) i'd have to check it out but these cars are you know they're just cute and uh I, I don't know where I'd get one. Couldn't possibly cost me anything. But, um, yeah, good fun <laughs> in a cloud of I, I have to tell you,
3: I went to Checkpoint Charlie, and I'll show, I'll show my age and my old rock and roller status, to see Pink Floyd, to see um, the wall at Apple at, uh, at Wall, and mm-hmm. did my duty of going to Checkpoint Charlie, going to the wall and banging my piece. I saw it when I moved the other day. I've still got it in a little plastic bag. So I've got a piece of the wall, and I saw the wall, and I saw Roger Waters um, allow... 25 tanks to a roll across the kind of <laughs> stage it was pretty impressive but there's and no playing. point in that
2: the berliners know the significance of the wall i'm in the nice hilton hotel i've got a mini fridge behind me that has all sorts of delicacies beer and wine and alcohol and m&ms and all that kind of stuff and on the menu at the bottom is a piece of the berlin wall huh. that you can buy for like nine euros and have for your own. I thought well, I got go to do it, Bob. Side, grab uh, <laughs> it's um you know it, it's just it's a magic town in so many ways. Lovely riverside and everything. It has its problems like a lot of places, but uh I really do like
3: Berlin. Hey Bob, That's... before we get down to the nitty-gritty of the racing, um I believe I... there were some protests. What were those I I'm presuming they're environmental pro- pro- protest but what was the protest about? Well, I haven't seen the final uh investigation
2: results and for those who don't know the second race of this doubleheader weekend this morning um the start was held up by a couple of protesters that climbed over the fence at the start as the cars were right on the starting grid laid down on the track and apparently tried to glue themselves to the racetrack and that's kind of a thing over here we've seen news reports of protesters trying to glue themselves to uh works of art in museums and things like that i'm not sure what their point is if they are environmentalists you have to wonder wh- why, why the hell did they pick formula E? yeah for- why formula out? e it's, a, it's,
0: it's, it's like it's the, the last
2: free. i mean anyway uh the crowd went nuts and we had a huge crowd german fans i mean they will sit through you know the second coming of the ice age to watch a race because it rained hard this morning for qualifying but they stayed uh, and this afternoon they were treated to a great race, but right at the beginning, these folks leapt over the wall, booing and and uh, whistling, which is the way you boo here in Europe, don't you know? And um, they, came, they were dragged off by security. Now I happened to be sitting in race control because I wasn't a part of today's broadcast. So Scott Elkins, the race director for Formula E that we all know through IMSA and all the other uh, technical jobs he's had, he's now totally FIA, He invited me to come sit in race control. And I picked the perfect race because here we are getting down to it. And all the officials, there's 20 of them in race control, and they're all looking at their monitors and looking at the wall of cameras. And all of a sudden, these folks fly over the wall, and everybody's like, What? What are we gonna do? (laughs) So they 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 stopped, they aborted the start, all the cars are sitting there on the grid. Television calls for a commercial break. You know, they just TV doesn't like to involve themselves in controversy so they wanted to go to break Elkins is yelling no I want to start this race um, so the uh, some of the other officials started talking about it all and they said what they well you know we got to work this out we can't just go so when someone said there's fluid on the track and we have to analyze it before we do anything because we don't know what it is and what effect it might have on the race that gave them enough time for the minute and a half or two minutes or however long television wanted for the commercials. And just as TV came back, they went through the start sequence and the race began. But it was uh, you know, an interesting way for me to sit there and look around the room and see how it all worked. I should also point out that I was sitting in an empty seat next to Niels Vittich, who happens to be the race director for the Formula One World Championship, who is of course German, and he was doing a busman's holiday meeting his friends. Um, so we watched all that happen. And I got a real nose full totally apart from the protest of what goes on in race control that we, in the announce booth, in the grandstand, watching our TVs at home, never learn. Case in point, about 15 laps into the race, Andre Lotterer loses a chunk of his Avalanche Andretti race car. So of course they're looking at it with their closed circuit cameras. And these cameras are really cool. There's a guy who sits there with a joystick and they say, you know, zoom right, left, go in, um uh, and it was determined that it wasn't such a big piece that they needed to do anything right away but meanwhile while they're going through all this we all look up and on one of the cameras one of the flaggers is waving a red flag and scott <laughs> sees this and goes what the <laughs> tell him to pull that flag in there's no red flag fortunately the f- field was was on the other side of the racetrack, <laughs> so in the 15 seconds or so it took to get this flagman to pull the flag back in, um, you know, they 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 avoided uh, a potentially awkward moment. But I spoke with the guys who were on the air, my broadcast colleagues, afterwards, and they didn't know anything about this because they only have one picture to watch, and um, you know, this is just one of those things, and I'm sure it happens all the time in race control that we never learn about. You know that they deal with on a regular basis it's it was fascinating
3: yeah you know what the more i analyze formula one the more i think that it's our responsibility as journalists or people who are pundits and involved in the sport to make the effort when we're on site to to spend time i do the trans am series as you know yeah. david hoots is our race director and he did 30 years of nascar and i must admit i i he 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 spends a lot of time coming down and talking and saying, Hey, how can we improve that? How can we improve this? And, you know, I, I really do think that it's our responsibility as commentators to, to, to do more, uh, or at least try to give our 10 cents, if that's the word or mm-hmm. be more, more learned on what they're dealing with is you quite rightly put, because, you know, it, it's easy to, it's, it's easy to comment when you're not in the room.
2: Yes, absolutely. And as I said, there's, you know, it, television and, and PA and radio or whatever it is, it's kind of linear. You know, we talk about one storyline at a time and as a result, you know, things get ignored or passed over or, or we don't even know about them. Um, but it's, uh, it, it's just a fact of life. And it reminded me sitting there in this room, watching this race control team work and, and talk to the, the medics and talk to the corner workers and track marshals and all that sort of thing. How many people it takes to put on a motor race safely and how much time all these people devote to it. I think everybody in the room next to me was, you know, on a on a salary. But all those guys out there in the orange jumpsuits uh, or white suits in uh, in the United States, um, you know, are out there just because they love it. And um, there's a lot of them and we couldn't do it without them. So kudos to them.
3: By the way, while you were chatting, I did have a look at the story, I put it on our chat, but um, yeah, it was climate uh, and it was part of a weekend of climate protests and people sticking themselves to all sorts of things. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's just ironic (laughs) that they chose Formula E, but I suppose it's the biggest thing in town. Um, And so it was just another, it was was to basically make the government aware, they're called last generation uh, and they were trying to make the government aware about
2: climate issues. the government was warned about it i heard and um i noticed here and there around the event uh that they were prepared for example one of the great things about formula e is their podium ceremony they stop the top 3 cars drivers get out talk to the media and all that meanwhile the fans all crowd in front of the podium except for this little pathway through the crowd and then they bring up, you know, the representative of the winning team, the third place, second place, first place drivers, charging through the crowd and high-fiving, and it's it's wonderful energy. But I did notice that as they were running to the stage, there were guards there to open a gate to let them through. I've never seen that before in Formula oh. E, and I'm sure it was because they didn't want any more protesters running up there and gluing themselves to something
0: you know, it seems so weird that they. It's like, did somebody not even tell them? Yeah, they, they said it's a go protest a car race. Well, it's not just a car race; it's an electric yeah. car race. I swear, that seems like totally counterintuitive. Well,
2: we do use you know petroleum products in our oil and lubricants, so you know we can't say we're completely um, petroleum free, yeah. oil free. But it's uh, we don't burn it, and um, And, yeah, they do fly out in jets to the next event, which is Monaco, in a couple of weeks. Um, But, yeah, I thought that was probably just a bit of, I don't know, misplaced enthusiasm. Call it what Mm -hmm. you will.
0: Well, what about the racing today, Bob? Today,
2: really fun. Yesterday, insane. (laughs) This is a track that is really quick. You know, it's on the concrete ramps of the old Tempelhof Airport, which was the site. It's now decommissioned. But it was the site of the Berlin Airlift when the Allies, particularly the United States, were sending as many as 1,400 aircraft in a day, bringing the stuff that the people of West Berlin needed because they were landlocked in East Germany, except for the, the zones that was controlled by the United States, Britain, and France. Um, and it's a great story. I mean, it's worth looking into. I actually flew into Tempelhof many years ago when I was working for ESPN, but they decommissioned the airport, Um, around 2000, I think it's now a park, a beautiful park. The Wright brothers once flew, one of their first (laughs) demonstrations of their flying machine was at the Tempelhof airport in 19, God knows what 11, 1913, something like that, a place with a lot of history, a massive building designed by Albert Speer and built by the third Reich, um, space in the basement where they would build fighter planes for the conflict. Um, it's just a—it's—it's it's a wonderful pl- place in so many ways. But uh, concrete ramps—I think the circuit may be older than Sebring when it comes to concrete, but um, wow. very aero dependent. So everybody knew that this was going to become a drafting war. You were going everybody was going to stream everybody else. Pretty soon they started jumping. I mean, literally, first lap they started jumping each other. They set all sorts of records, eight different leaders among 22 drivers, 23 or 24 lead changes among those eight drivers, and 190 documented passes, overtakes, during the course of a 43-lap race. I'm trying to call the race, and it's like trying to call a prison break on an anthill. It's just things are are going on everywhere. Who is that? And wasn't he in ninth before? Now he's in second. It was, it was just chaotic. It was so delightful, so much energy, um, and eventually wound up in a one-two finish for the uh, factory Jaguar boys, uh, Mitch Evans and uh, Sam Bird. And in third place was Maxi Gunther taking Maserati to the podium in an open-wheeled motor race for the first time in 66 years. So that was a, a, a neat element, all of it. And Gunther got the position by passing in the last corner knocking off pole sitter sebastian Buemi, so it was just electric with excitement pardon the pun um <laughs> today today was a whole lot different because as i said there the morning was uh, was wet qualifying was wet but it dried up for the afternoon packed grandstands the race was a lot more polite everybody put to use the lessons they learned yesterday So there wasn't as much crazy passing because everybody wanted to do the Rick Mears method of positioning yourself in the right place at the right time to make one pass that would bring you success. And so we saw a lot of that behind the front runners as everybody tried to work their way to the front. And in the end, um, Nick Cassidy from the Envision team, which uses a Jaguar uh, powertrain, beat uh, Jake Dennis for Avalanche Andretti and uh, jean eric Verne, the two-time champion for DS Penske. Um, So this is the second race in a row, going back to Sao Paulo about three, four weeks ago, where Jaguar Products finished one, two, three on the podium, which is huge for them because the Jaguar team got off to a terrible start and Vision, which is their customer team, did as well. So uh, there was much celebrating, except for jean eric Verne, who has no taste at all for these streamlining passing fests, he doesn't want to draft anybody. It has to be, you know, hardcore wheel banging, get to the front. He called, he called the rest of his colleagues cowards in his post-race interview because nobody would go lead because they knew they were going to be down on energy when it mattered most, and uh, you'd be a sitting duck when somebody had two percent more energy than you did and wanted to nail you on the way to the checkered flag. So it's been a great weekend in so many ways, and I'm really glad I was. Uh, Back
3: with Formula E for the first time in a couple of years,
0: Jonathan. You have uh, you know um, Cassidy, don't you, from the Toyota? Yeah, Race? very well.
3: In fact, you know uh, Nick, Nick is another Toyota Racing Series graduate, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I make a note that it's, uh, it's, uh, it's you know I know I bang on about New Zealand because I love it so much, but uh, their racing is 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 incredible when you think about it. Um, just just this weekend, Lawson second in Super Formula by just a couple of points. He got a fourth place at Suzuka uh mm-hmm. the, the the red bull um uh, reserve driver for formula one you got mitch evans winning and nick cassidy winning so wow you know the high a high-end motorsport three kiwis right at the sharp end yeah um, and yeah i'm really pleased for nick because you know he's done dtm he's kind of missed out in the shuffle for formula one um mm-hmm. perhaps maybe spending too much time in japan but he is a fantastic racing driver um uh, yeah and and when you look at that was actually one of my questions i i I keep looking at formula e i was never a big fan as i've i've often said on the radio um just because of the sound more than anything i realize it's the future and i've tried and tried and tried but i I mean i don't like the sound i wish they could do something about that and and i mean i'm talking blade runner-esque sound in other words create (laughs) one there's nothing wrong with creating a sound, and I think it would work. <clears throat> and I think it was true a true of electric motorbikes, too, if you if you think all about the-, the future of motocross or supercross, well, That's
2: the, the one complaint, if I can generalize, that critics of Formula E seem to have is sound. And I get that. Everybody likes the roaring engines and all that sort of thing. Um, I don't find it objectionable at all. And in fact, when I was sitting in race control today, we were right next to start finish. And when the field came through, it doesn't sound like that shrieky whine that these electors motor, electric motors have. It sounded like jet airplanes going by. Yeah. Instead
1: of huh. it was,
3: it's,
1: it's the, the regeneration
3: sound kind of that, that's the that's the grinding. That's that's yeah. the. Well, it's
2: the the cars are incredibly quick. Uh, it, it's great fun to watch them on the track on a properly chosen and designed track. Um, and yeah, you know, I get it. I mean, if people want you know, really noisy race cars, this isn't for you because the mission statement of Formula E is electric mobility as a solution to the climate problems, particularly in inner cities. That's why we race on temporary circuits. I say we. They race on temporary circuits in urban areas because that's where noise needs to be reduced. Speed is great. Sliding around, listening to the diffs rattle and the tires squeal and all that kind of thing. Uh, just, you know, don't make all that noise and certainly don't so have all message? those
0: emissions. <laughs> Who's that talking? Siri's trying to talk to you while you're talking <laughs> to us. In your <laughs> West, dude, <Siri's>, no, I, <laughs> go away. Well, um, you know, I, you know, you talk about all this sound, you know, all the manufacturers are dealing with this. They're piping sound yeah. into the cabins of cars. And yeah. I've been I've been hearing about you know, Dodge is, you know, the muscle car company has been right. talking about the new generation, how they're going to pipe sound outside the cars. Now they're experimenting with this stuff and, you know, I've been resistant to it, but Jonathan, I think I kind of agree with you. Is it, I think it's okay. You know I mean? Why not? Why not make a cool sound? And, and I think well, they're, they're still experimenting on what that looks like or should say sounds like.
3: Yeah. I mean. This is a purpose-built show for the cities, and therefore you can't have guzzling combustion engine uh, V tens. You know you can't have a Long Beach uh, type situation, um, so because it 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 takes away the whole reason for the sport to exist, which mm-hmm. is for the future. And they've done a great job of bringing in effectively Formula One's uh, top guys that didn't quite make it or have been to Formula One um you know and therefore are, are are of a class there isn't anybody from felix da costa um pascal verlein uh, Stoffel van dorn i mean these names are formula one names and nick de Vries, uh obviously yeah. you know, jumping Berne, back to formula one Lucas so grassy yeah. yeah there's no question um that that it has a right uh, and the quality uh is is unbelievable i wish there were a, a junior series more more they had a, a world championship for jaguar i think um, but, but I, I mean, to, and also for the manufacturers, when you see Penske uh, and Andretti second and third in your first race, uh, in your second race today, um, you know, and then Jaguar and Porsche all involved, mm-hmm. Maserati, I think it's great. Um, yeah. I, I just wish, you know, that there was, first of all, a feeder series to it, electric yeah. to it, that would see drivers coming in and, and forcing mm-hmm. other drivers not to, to remain there for a long, you know, Mitch Evans has been there a long time. Um, and, and as you mentioned, John A. has, has potentially, you know, been there forever. Um, but, um, you know, and, and, and it is worthy in terms of, of that. And it certainly brings motorsport to the cities that, that could never have happened in the past and could never happen in Austin, for example. Um, well, it could happen, but it would have to be electric racing. So it has its role. Yep. And
2: that's, that's the point, Jonathan. It's. It has a role. It has a place. It's not going to be the end all and be all. It's not going to be Formula One. It's not going to be Indy cars. It's not going to be you know, any of those things. It is what I call a statement series, heavily supported by the FIA to make a point and to be relevant and to be um, forward-looking and pushing the technology of the battery systems and, and all of that sort of thing. The internal combustion engine is not going away. You know, we'll still have racing on, you know, dirt tracks on weeknights and Saturday nights and the, the dirt will fly and it'll be roaring engines and there will still be well, stock cars and indie cars and some kind of cars that are going to make a lot of noise and go really fast and, and, and give people what they want. It all depends on what we want out of our racing. Do we want noise and speed? Do we want color? Do we want celebrities? what is it that you want you want passes formula E gave you 190 of them yesterday alone <laughs> um you know it's what are you looking for mm. but i would urge fans to look around with an open mind check it out it's it's fun racing and there it's also incumbent on us on the media side particularly television to bring the sights and sounds to the public's eye yeah uh, in a way that they really need if they're not going to be at the racetrack. I was speaking with one of our top executives uh, from Formula E today and told him that sitting in race control, watching the fill the cars going by, they made such a spectacular noise that I had never heard before. I said, We got to locate some microphones down here so you can hear that kind of sound and make yeah. it loud.
0: Yeah, the, all the sound that we always hear is that high pitched, you know, where they put yeah. a microphone under the hood, basically. Right. But, and yeah. these are the Gen 2 cars. You know, if you haven't seen Formula E since they – Gen 3 cars. Excuse me, Gen 3. Yeah, if you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, it's, uh, you know, a lot more powerful, and uh, it's a lot faster. Yeah. You know, Bob,
3: is. you bring up an interesting point in that one thing I do – or hadn't given much thought to yeah. when I went to the Mexico ePrix. Uh, mm-hmm. Mitch Evans is somebody I know, I know pretty well, and I had a long chat with him about the demands of Formula E. And he said, what what people don't understand is how hard we're working in the cockpit to get the best out of the energy that we have. Right. And, and what he means by that is the regeneration, the harvesting, and how many buttons he's literally, it's more complicated than Formula yeah. One in that respect. In, in terms of getting the best, like in your race today, you know, Cassidy was avoiding the slipstream, um, but... It was also the use of energy, a, 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 a conservative yes. use of energy, yes. allowing him to stay ahead of the groups to not be, to, to not, you know, not to be overtaken. So there's a lot, there's a lot more to it. And I think, again, we, as you know, we as commentators, it's, it's a part of your mm-hmm. job, my job, and everybody, anybody, anybody yep. else who gets involved to do that is to explain yep. that to people.
2: Yeah, it definitely is. There's, um, just about any anytime somebody new comes into the series, particularly if they have a, a glittering resume like an Andre Lotterer or a jean eric Verne or someone like that. They get in the cars and they drive and they get out and think, oh, man, that was a whole lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. For just the reasons that Mitch Evans described to you, there's so many things the driver has to to deal with. He has so many tools to work with. The batteries go by the highfalutin name of RESS, rechargeable energy storage systems. Every driver starts a race without sufficient energy to go flat out from start to finish. That means you have to recover energy. You have to harvest energy. You have to balance it, deploy it appropriately uh, at the right time and in the right amount to go very quickly. And that's a a tremendous thing for drivers to have to learn. Some are much better at it than others. Uh, Some want the engineers talking through the uh, race. Some don't want to hear from the engineers. Uh, there's not a whole lot the engineers can do because there's no telemetry to uh, to tell them what's going on. They have to ask the driver, okay, what is what is this measure, that measure, the other thing. Meanwhile, the driver, of course, is you know going crazy trying to stay off concrete walls on bumpy streets, and it's uh, mm-hmm. it's just fascinating fun. I get a big kick out of it.
0: How well, Bob? Thank you very much because I know that it's bedtime there in Berlin, and uh, we appreciate you you coming on. <laughs> Finally. Or maybe you, not. <laughs> I,
3: well, I just do it. Last thing: Who would have thought that the great Bob Varsha would become the 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 the, the worldwide electric man in 2023? <laughs> he's doing Formula Extreme and he's doing Formula E. I mean, don't get too get a cattle prod. Don't get too close; he'll zap you. <laughs> That's
2: right. I glow at night in the dark. <laughs> yeah,
0: hey, I, you're I,
3: very I, insightful, Bob. And I and I know you're doing some more. So. Be our, be our, be our, electric correspondent because we both, we, we, me and John and and our audience need to be educated. My pleasure, guys, and we've got
2: Formula One coming up next weekend, so off we go.
0: Yep, we'll yep. See. here we'll we go again. Next weekend. All right, thanks, Bob. Cheers.
3: If you want to know where the path to Formula One and in Indy begins, it's three simple letters VRD. VRD Racing of Atlanta, Georgia, are dedicated to nurturing young, single-seater drivers on their quest to the pinnacle of motorsport. Having just wrapped up the team's championship title in 2021 in the F4 US Championship, they also have programs in FR Americas, the all-new USF Juniors, and the Road to Indy. VRD is the perfect environment for success. To join the team, drop them a DM on Instagram at velocity underscore RD.
4: In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place with LinkedIn. You can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch.
1: You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medella is your reward. Medella, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly, beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois.
3: Hi, this is Karun Chandok, and you're listening to Speed City.
1: Welcome back to the Fastest Hour in Radio, Speed City.
0: All right, welcome back. You hear that Jonathan Carun Chanduk bringing us back? My man. And uh, Bob Varsha said he ran into Was that a, I think that was on the after we got through talking. Bob told us that Carun said, "Hey, make sure to tell Jonathan Greenheim. and you've known Carun since she was what, 8 years old?" You 8 said? years old, yeah.
3: Uh, it's a funny story. Um for a local guy, not too
0: long. We got to go to our clip. No, t- tiny
3: story. Sorry, tiny story. He, when I met him at eight, he was wearing a Kevin Schwantz shirt in Madras. Have a fig- uh, go figure that one.
0: Nice. All right. Well, let's set up this next clip because Chris Medlin got to sit down with a young American in Formula Two, Jack Crawford. And Jack is originally from North Carolina, but is really home in uh, Houston now. And he's a
3: Texan official.
0: He, that's right. That's right. And so uh but yeah this was for the wheel to wheel show that chris medlin and i do so let's let's hear from jack crawford now
7: and joining us now we have one of america's brightest young racing talents jack crawford is joining us here on wheel to wheel jack thanks very much
5: for the early start here in the uk how's it going uh good thanks for having me it's uh going good and um yeah i'm very eager to get back racing so
7: i bet yeah we're having a, a bit of a break um you're in your f2 rookie season and actually i mean look you're 17 years old for a few more weeks um and i'm pretty sure that your birthday coincides with the week of the miami grand prix which isn't an f2 race but are you going
5: to be in miami for that one um i won't be in miami unless uh you know last minute plans change i i'm quite busy at the moment in between all the races i think we have our barcelona test the same week as miami possibly um but anyways I'm so busy with my own schedule it's hard to to make time for for any sort of vacation days
7: well that's um that'll teach me for not checking the testing schedule because I obviously <laughs> know the F2 race schedule uh and the next one coming up is Baku and we're going to chat about that in a little bit because I want to go back to the last one and as you mentioned it's been a bit of a gap between racing but uh last time out was Melbourne F2's first visit to Australia and you were on the podium in the first race I mean how sweet did that feel with second place in the sprint
5: yeah it was good it was my first uh formula two points which was really nice um and you know we had a lot of speed in melbourne and in, in both dry and wet conditions which was really promising we made a lot of improvements from from bahrain and jeddah which was was really good to see from a, a team standpoint i think it gives us a lot of confidence as a team and as well um me as a driver um and yeah getting on the podium you know I i only have one more step to to get where where i want to be this year so
7: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the team, high-tech is who you're racing for in Formula 2. And the results hadn't quite been there in those opening two rounds in Bahrain and Jeddah that you mentioned. But at certain times, the pace had been. You could see it was there. So how tricky has it, I guess, been for you as someone who was adapting, it's still at a young age as well, from Formula 3 to Formula 2? Because it's quite a big step,
5: isn't it? Yeah, it is a big step. I think, you know, actually, you know, it is a big step. But... Once you get used to to the main differences the the weight of the car the the turbo um it actually feels quite similar in a way um like you can't really feel the speed is much much difference um you know obviously when you put on a, a super soft tire and and barring qualifying for the first time, it's really really fast um <laughs> but once you get used to it 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 actually doesn't feel uh like too much of a difference um which is good in some ways. I, I do think it was a bit easier to move from formula Three to formula two than it was from formula four to formula three. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's still a learning curve to this stage, you know, I'm learning stuff every race and, and, you know, there's, there's not a lot of test days, we only got, you know, the three days I did last year, um, and the three days I did this year, um, which were all, all learning days and, you know, so every session I'm, I'm out there learning, so.
7: Well, it's like you can see my notes because my next question is about learning, actually. I mean, I think if I'm right, Ollie Behrman's the only driver younger than you on the F2 grid by six days. So yeah. the two, you're <laughs> are damn close, aren't they? Um, but then you'd still be the youngest if you'd stayed in F3 this year. That's <laughs> that's kind of where you're at. So in that sense, like, how much learning is there for you to do compared to some of the guys you're up against?
5: Yeah, there's definitely, you know, it, it, this year there is a lot of rookies, um, but, you know, I'm still one of the, the younger rookies uh you know compared to some guys who who are going into f2 as rookies that are you know you know above 20 years old you know 21 22 um victor and arthur for example they're a bit older um but you know it it still is uh difficult you know we have a lot of good guys um in f2 that have a lot of experience you know theo pusher and um you know all the guys in their second year as well which are you're doing well so you know people with the th- the three years plus experience are obviously going to be fast no matter what and you know the guys in their second year are are really quick this year so it's definitely definitely a really tough field so
7: yeah i mean i think ralph boschung's close to 100 races in formula two <laughs> um, i'm a big ralph fan because he flies stunt planes in his spare time which i think is so cool but um <laughs> yeah he's, he's been around for a while so you can see some of the experience you're up against but you got good experience last year in terms of in Formula Three in your second year and your first full season in F3. You were in the title fight, weren't you? And it, it did kind of fade towards the latter part of the season. So what did you learn from that? What sort of stuff has has helped you develop over the last 12 months?
5: Yeah, I think, you know, speed was was never the problem at the end of last year. Um, it was more about performing and and keeping a cool head when when it mattered. Um, which is where um I think it, it sort of fell apart in the last uh three rounds for me. Um, although, you know, I did have the outright pace in and, and all those all those rounds, um, which was obviously there. So that was never the problem. It was just about performing under that under that, you know, championship sort of pressure. Um at the end of the year, which I don't think I managed very well, but um, you know, coming into a, a new season fresh start um and formula two it's good to you know sort of have not that much pressure although i am able to manage the pressure a bit better
7: yeah i mean yeah we talk about it and i've, I've mentioned your age a couple of times but you started last season as a 16 year old racing for a world championship or a championship on the calendar that is supporting formula one um and to put it in the context i mean your time advantage you have over everyone i think you're f- over four years younger than logan sergeant who stepped up to f1 after one year of f2 so is the fact that you kind of have dare i say time on your side in that sense taking the pressure off at all or are you just impatient to keep climbing
5: yeah it's a bit of a a weird feeling because you know i've raced you know the same i've raced the same guys in f3 and f2 and um you know i've i've been on the same same sort of path as them i've raced the same guys in F3. i've raced in f2 and you know they're, they're older than me so it, you know it, it feels weird that you know i could do another three seasons in in f2 and then i'd be their age which is a bit weird to think about um but of course i i mean i think if i did you know upwards of, of that many years in formula two then um you know f1 would would sort of be a long shot at that point um but you know i i would I would like to be an f1 as soon as possible so
7: <laughs> yeah i mean it's uh it's where everyone wants to be isn't it but do you feel there's a lot of room for development within you still because of your age and because actually you've you've climbed so quickly through the single seater ladder or does it just come naturally to you and each time you're like well i want to step up i want to step up
5: yeah i think i think it comes naturally i think always you know i'm looking for improvements and especially i i mean i haven't done so many single race, single, single seater races, especially in, in, F2. Um, so it's like every time I'm just getting better and better. I think, um, you know, for, from my side, there's still, there's still time to gain on, in race and, and, in quality performance, which, you know, is, are the two main factors. So then I always got something to work on. Um, I think there's always room, room for improvement, improvement. So, um, yeah, I'm always looking for more.
7: Well, um, what are you looking for from this season? What are your goals for this year? Because I mentioned you're racing with high tech and they didn't have the most consistent time of it over the last couple of seasons. And you are partnered with another rookie and Isaac Hadjar. So you don't have an experienced driver in that team either. So yeah, what, what are your targets?
5: Uh, to be honest, at the start of the season, I had we, we, all my, um, you know, my parents and, and my, my team around me. There were no um, specific goals, ex- expectations or anything um we are just looking out and trying to learn as much as possible especially in the in the first half of the season and and really use that to to build on something for for the end of the season and try to get those good results obviously i've had you know a good result now at the beginning of the season which was a bit unexpected which which is good it it, it shows that i've been able to to learn well and develop quickly um but, yeah, I think, you know, a specific goal, you know, every driver wants is to beat his teammate. And, um, you know, I have a very good teammate very quick. So um, I think, you know, that gives us a – it actually sort of creates like a, a dynamic where we sort of push each other a bit more. So.
7: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch, actually, because you're both of a similar age and or a similar kind of point in your career as going as F2 rookies. But um, for listeners of the show that maybe don't know – uh, a huge amount about you so far um you mentioned the team around you and family thinking the accent's north carolina isn't it you are from originally
5: yeah i'm from north carolina originally but i live in texas um well i used to live in texas <laughs> um i still go back i live in middle teens in england now um but yeah i i live most of my life in texas
7: yeah well um you mentioned Milton Keynes as a Brit. I'm allowed to admit that's perhaps not the most exciting place to live <laughs> as a teenager. But um, how tough was it then kind of moving to the UK so young uh, to pursue the single seated path towards F1? Because I think you're what, like just turned 12 or 13, something like that. When you first headed to Europe.
5: Yeah, my first time in, in Europe in go karts, I I spent time in Italy, um, although I didn't I didn't really live there, which is hopping around in hotels, even even actually all the way up until Um, the beginning of last year, I was still hopping around in hotels. Um, so I didn't get my apartment here until, till May of last year. Um, which is, it's nice to have somewhere, somewhere stable. Um, although like you said, it's not the best place in England. (laughs) Um, but it is very convenient for me. I have, have high tech, which is, um, you know, 25 minutes drive to, to Silverstone and then red bull which is only 10 minutes away from me so i have everything that i need in in within 30 minutes um so it's really nice to have that
7: yeah i mean um firstly sorry for the weather certainly if someone coming from texas is probably used to a uh, much warmer climate but you mentioned red bull uh for listeners jack's currently sat in his kitchen with a red bull training top on because you did get into the red bull young driver program um Making this move, so I guess that must have made it worth it to have been picked up by a, a big F one team.
5: Yeah, hundred percent. I I mean, it was, you know, I I think from my side, F one was was not even an option um for me being American and being so difficult to come over until I had this opportunity with Red Bull. So it's really nice to to have that. And yeah, I'm 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 willing to move to to Milton Keynes to pursue that dream.
0: All right, everybody, if you want to hear the rest of that interview, go just Google um wheel to wheel on ESPN Extra and you can find the podcast and you can download the rest. But man, Jonathan, I'm, we're almost out of time, but I'm so excited to have this 17-year-old in Formula Two. He could like you were saying during you know during the break, he was like he could be there for years.
3: Yeah, I mean, he is at the perfect age. That's why I want people to remember his name. And I'll tell you what, I think the new test of getting into Formula One is if you could put up with Milton Keynes. <laughs> um, for, well you know I mean joking aside people in England we're not kidding we don't like Milton Keynes it, it's an aberration it was it was a city built from nothing and so it has this sequence of roundabouts it's just an odd city in a beautiful part of England which is that area where Silverstone is um, beautiful countryside I lived in Bambury um, myself but y- Yuki Tsunoda literally couldn't stand it um, and so yeah he's doing the, he's dedicated.
0: (laughs) Uh, well, you know, man, it's so exciting to have Jack, another American just coming up through that ladder because we just don't know how good he is yet. He's so young. He's so young. All right. We got to wrap it up guys. Thanks everybody for tuning in. And of course, next weekend back to formula one action, go to our website, speedcitybroadcast.com, to find out how to listen to everything. We'll talk to you next Saturday for the post Sprint race. Talk to you then. Happy.